Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, October 21st, gives us episode number 122. Well, just ahead, Tesla's non-existent full self-driving cars lead to some interesting accounting treatments. And AutoNation predicts just how long the car shortage will go on. And adaptive biotechnologies with an ultra-detailed blood test that can find everything from cancer to autoimmune disorders, perhaps. Well, the founders and CEO Chad Robbins and his brother Harlan Robbins Join us, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on your smart speaker, just turn to that smart speaker. For example, maybe it's an Amazon Alexa. You can say, hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. And Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I just saw the Brain Trust, Brain Trust. They're meeting down the hall for me here in the ferry building. Smart people, cool company. Check Very it out. Very cool. Yeah, love to. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to explain the business stories behind Stocks and the Move. Joining me, Siobhan Field, back with us again today. We didn't scare her off yesterday. Siobhan's a business journalist who writes for Forbes as a professor of entrepreneurship at Pepperdine University in Malibu, and a former colleague of mine, she joins us from uh, LA. Um, she uh, she uh, used to crack the whip on me. You really <laughs> did, actually. You were merciless. <laughs> hey, Corey, I, I got to keep you guys in line. You, you know, barely forgiven me from the time I wanted to go and take you to a cool coffee shop when we were doing live hits. This is going to come up on the podcast for sure. I mean, Moscone Center, Corey gave me a heart attack. He's heading heading in the wrong direction. Live shot had, in 10 we minutes. We had like an hour and a half between hits. But anyway, so glad that you've Heads off into me. the traffic of San Francisco. But yes, you know what? I got to tell you, Corey, he, he made the hit. He got his coffee, got back, and never missed all a was hit, well. Never missed a flight. That's how I roll. Gave your producer a few heart attacks in, been some in the calls. interim, but. <laughs> All right, so Siobhan, uh, what are the three most important stories in the world of business today? Okay, well, first up uh, is former President Donald J. Trump. He's getting back into the social media game. Trump was, of course, banned from Twitter in January of this year, but he is now making moves to create his own social media app, and he is calling it 
truth, T-R-U-T-H, social. Ironic? I will let you decide on that. The app was created through a SPAC merger of Trump Media and Technology Group, and it is expected to roll out to users early next year. Thoughts? So they took a thing public that's not even a company yet. I, I did a, a minor search on this thing, just checking into the financials and stuff that don't exist. But the CEO of the thing, Patrick Orlando, interestingly, is also CEO of a company called Young Hong International, based in, you want to guess? China. Wuhan, China. Uh, no way. <laughs> no way. Okay. It's actually a true well. fact. So well, this one, we'll, we'll see what we get out of this one. If yeah. there's ever a company to go with the stock. Uh, what else you got? Yes, indeed. Okay. The number two most important business news story of the day. Corey, do you remember that colonial pipeline hack that happened I earlier do. this year? Yes, I, I bet you deal. do. Yeah. Well, a report from the Wall Street Journal today says that Fin7, the group behind the hack, is now recruiting new employees. It set up a fake company name and website and is talking to candidates about joining them to do security work or cybersecurity work. Yeah, well, I guess it's cybersecurity work. Yeah, well, the last cybersecurity work they did in May shut down a pipeline that provides fuel to much of the U.S. So if you are on the job hunt now, and we know many Americans are, watch out for postings from Bastion Secure otherwise known as a ransomware gang. Yeah, this is a, this is quite the story that they're actually getting real. And I, I read the piece in the journal, it was really nicely done. Um, apparently one of the workers said, I figured out it was fake, they didn't quote it, but he said that he figured it out that it was fake when the, the his bosses wouldn't communicate with him any way but through Telegram or, or secret <laughs> messaging, that they wouldn't do a, a conference call, they wouldn't meet with him in person and they wouldn't they would only communicate through Telegram. He thought it was sketchy right then. Yeah, that, that's always a bit of a red flag if someone's straight to the telegram. You know, they don't want any record of what they're saying. Have you been hacked? I have. And it was, no it fun. was, I, I did not know about it. A friend reached out to me on text message and said, um, were you hacked? That's all it was. Um, are you hacked? I look at my Twitter, which is connected to my Facebook. And let's just say the content that was put on Twitter by the hacker under my Twitter account is not something I would have put out into the public domain. It was, it was pretty bad. What was it? It was a picture of some really off color content. Yes, it huh. was awful, absolutely awful. But I'm so grateful for my friend who texted me right away, who knows me well and knows I would never, you know, put right, something right, right, like right. that up there. And um, I was able to, he saw it on my Facebook account. So I was able to take it off Facebook, then go in, reset my password for Twitter. I know so, a bunch of people in the, in the crypto world who are hacked, executives in the crypto world who are hacked. Um, uh, and who knows by whom it yeah. may have actually been a nation state uh, hacker trying to get at the crypto and, and going after using their sort of hijacking their phones and their two factor authentication to try to go and, and indeed in some cases succeeding at getting their crypto um, out of their wallets. So it's a, uh, it's scary stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Really disturbing when it happens. Yes, it is. I mean, you feel very violated. All right. On to the third most important business story of the day. We have all heard that the climate is changing. The earth is getting hotter. Well, oil took a dive today after news from NOAA that the coming winter will be hotter than normal. Brent crude oil was at a three-year high of $86 before dipping on this news. 
So Corey, uh, the, the business story here is what impact do you think a warmer winter will have on other business sectors? Well, to be clear, I don't think that this has much to do with climate change. Climate change, of course, is a real thing, but climate change, annual climate change, you know, has, has increased greatly since uh, really the 1980s. But that means, to, which is to say it's increasing by about a third of a degree Fahrenheit every year instead mm-hmm. of the former rate of increase, which was, you know, uh, less than half that. Still, it's not, you know, it's 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 not the reason we might have a warm winter. But yeah, the oil and, and gas uh, uh, greatly affected by consumption during cold months and the quantity con- consumed will make a huge difference uh, in oil and gas prices uh, in the short term here. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Siobhan. Why don't we start with uh, an old, uh, an oldie, but a well, kind of a baddie, IBM. Beautiful. IBM was down 10%. However, for the first 12 months, shares are up 12%. So what is the story with IBM Common Stock? Yeah, so um, they report another quarter. It was another of their lousy quarter. This business just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so, you know, on a year-over-year basis, it was a slight improvement for some parts of their business. But, you know, even after buying Red Hat a few years back, this business is just shrinking. Um, and they've spent billions and billions in acquisitions, and still the business is smaller than it was over any notable period of time. They said their cloud business uh, was up 2.5% to $5.7 billion. Their global business services business, $4.4 billion, that's up uh, 12%. But their, um, uh, their systems revenue, which includes uh, hardware and operating systems, was down 12%, with a really big decline there. Now, they're spinning off that business uh, with what they're calling, going to call Kindrel. And you look at this business and think, well, wait a minute, what happened here that suddenly made the Kindrel business really rough and and uh, a systems hardware and operating system uh, business, you know, what what screwed that business up? What, what disrupted it? Indeed, the CEO was asked on their conference call about this uh, this disruption, and he was very dismissive of the entire idea, indeed. He, uh, he said to the analysts who asked about, you know, the disruptions, well, I, you know, listen, I don't prefer we don't use the word disruption. He took umbrage to the phrase disruption. Look, I, I'd like to be very clear. I think that any, and I would not use the word disruption. I would use the word that there may be a slight pause, which is the words that pause. I used in, the, in my prepared remarks. I think there's a slight pause. And it'll be the end of third quarter, maybe the beginning of fourth quarter. And we see that pause mostly in hardware and in Kindrel itself. By the way, just to add some color, why do you see that? There has been a lot of hardware that actually does flow through Kindrel. And many, many people, many of our clients think of that as being an alternate way that they have uh, procured infrastructure in the past. So it's not a surprise, given the size of the relationship with some of those clients, that we see a pause in some of them. By the way, I think that that's the complete nature of it. When I look at our pipeline, I look at our sales compensation, I look at our executive compensation, I'm completely confident that this will be well behind us by the beginning of 22, meaning by January, well behind us. And as we also get into a new product cycle on some of the hardware in the first half of 22, I think that'll put it completely behind us. So I don't know if you heard the tell there, but he says this <laughs> will be 
completely well behind us by January 2022. Yeah, look forward. Look and then forward. By, this, by the first half, well, well, then it'll be completely, well, look, if it's already gone in January, then why are you saying it's going to be gone after the first half? He doesn't yeah. know when this, this pause is going to no. stop pausing or disrupt. It's not a disruption. No, it's a pause. But we'll but, see you know, how long this pause goes. That that was not confidence inspiring. No, and not a fan of of the term disruption. But it's such a Silicon Valley term. You know, yeah, everyone wants to be a, a technical disruptor. They want to be the new Uber. But in this context, he does not want to hear about disruption. And he wants pauses. Yeah. All right, Corey. What have you got for us? What's your next drill down? I couldn't do this with you without talking about Tesla's third quarter earnings. Wow. All right. We have some history there. Corey and I have a storied history with Tesla, and it involves Corey and Elon in a very early model Elon Musk, Tesla the CEO. Roadster. Yes, Elon Musk. Ripping around the roads of Los Angeles uh, near the SpaceX factory when we did a, uh, a sit-down interview with Elon. What, how many the years Hawthorne ago, Corey? Hawthorne neighborhood. Hawthorne, yeah, just just near the... Um, yeah, you did a great job arranging that interview. Elon and I used to be friendly, right? You you can testify to that. No one believes that anymore. He's blocked me on Twitter. He's he has? To me as, you don't know this. He's referred to me as a tool of the short sellers. I did not see that. Mm. Elon did not appear on this conference call for the first time ever. It was interesting really? in the third quarter conference call. Shares about up a little bit, uh, but up a lot in the last year, as we all know, about 112% at, a, at this moment. Um, I thought it was really interesting. So, you know, you and I have argued about this a lot for the for years. We, we have. might as well get it all out of the open this one show today. All right. But, um, uh, in particular, you know, I've, I've, you know I don't, I don't, I've never had a position in Tesla, long or short, and I am not, in fact, a tool of the short sellers. I do think it's important to... Um, find the things that other people aren't looking at when you look at any company. And Tesla has was a was a, a, a blessing in that regard because there were so many fanboys around that company, and there are still that you could find things that no one else is looking at. And in particular, quite often Tesla wouldn't meet its own projections, wouldn't do the things they said they were going to do in the time that they said they would do them. Um, and I would point that out to the great irritation of of Elon Musk and the people at Tesla and the Tesla fanboys and even some of our former colleagues were annoyed. Uh, they didn't, it didn't fit with the narrative of this neato G whiz uh, Thomas Edison of our times, Elon Musk story that is pure fiction. Well, um, they had a really weird quarter. They had a, a generally accepted to be a pretty good quarter, but I thought there were some weird things as there always are in these Tesla earnings. And we don't have a 10 Q. They didn't release the 10 Q. Um, they are not required to on the day they report earnings, but a lot of companies do. They do not. So a lot of the mysteries of their financial statements remain mysteries because we can't see the 10Q. Um, their cash balance was down $164 million uh, despite a reduction of receivables, a massive increase in payables. So payables are the bills that you owe, but you haven't paid. Those were, uh, there was an increase of $665 million in the payables, mm. and yet their cash flow declined. I mean, for me, when I don't pay my power bill and I don't pay my rent or whatever, you know, whatever I'm not paying is money that stays in the bank, but their cash balance declined. So, I, you know, that's, a, again, a mystery. I don't know what the real cash flow number is because there were so many weird things. There also was a lot of revenue that came or a lot of dollars that came in by increasing debt and uh, leases for the company. But I want to talk about one thing in particular. Again, another broken promise from Elon Musk and from Tesla, and that is the full self-driving car. They promised, uh, you know, not only did they promised a cyber truck and they promised lots, they promised a full self-driving car. 
They've even sold cars that will supposedly eventually have full self-driving software in them. Well, there is a full self-driving yet. There's videos on online. I don't know if you've seen them of Tesla cars and the full self-driving mode of people testing it and that trying to run red lights or trying to make left turns in front of oncoming traffic and um, scary stuff. Mm. Well, there's a real world accounting issue as well with that because, because they have accepted the revenues of cars and said that they will have full self-driving, they can't recognize all of those revenues until they deliver all of that product. And all of that product would include full self-driving. So there is this growing item on the balance sheet. And Siobhan, you've got an MBA. You took counting classes far beyond I ever have, I'm sure. Um, this this unrecognized revenue, this deferred revenue item has grown to $1.8 billion. Wow. It's enough to make you want to bark. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just heard your dog. Um, so, yes. That was Bodhi uh, this, piping up. Apologies. Thank you for joining us, Bodhi. Um, uh, bonus bonus guest host. He's not um, happy with the 1.8. 1. 1. He's, he's, he's not, he, not about Elon's, it. Maybe Elon's going to call Bodhi a tool of the, of the short source <laughs> as well for being able to read a balance sheet. Look, $1.8 billion is sitting there waiting to be um, uh, recognized. Or Tesla owners at some point could ask for their money back because they haven't got the thing that they bought. Um, as as uh, acknowledged by the accounting and indeed by the person in charge of that counting, Elon Musk not on the call, but Lars Morave, the VP of, Enger- uh, of Vehicle Engineering and the CFO, but we're both on the call talking about um, deferred revenues and the problem with full self-driving FSD, as they call it, mm. and why it, as long as it's not here, they can't recognize the revenues. All right, let's take a listen. Uh, the way that this works is, you know, we, we have made certain commitments as uh, as to what this, this product can offer at the time that a customer has purchased that. And so what we have to assess is, you know, have we met those commitments? And is uh, the software uh, uh, widely available to the folks that we've made those commitments to uh, within a certain geography? And, you know, given that FSD is still currently in the beta phase, uh, it's invitation only and it's limited, uh, we have not deemed that to be appropriate for recognition of deferred revenue. And we'll continue to evolve this. Uh, we'll continue to monitor it within the finance team uh, um, to see when we get to the milestones in which we're comfortable releasing. So, Corey, was that an analyst question? Uh, it, was an analyst, it was a response to an analyst question. So, yeah, analysts are sniffing around this issue, trying to figure out what happens. And, you know, it also, at one moment, there could be a, if, if they have a weak quarter and they change a revenue recognition and suddenly we've seen other companies do this and it wouldn't be cool if Tesla were to do it also, but they could suddenly flow that money into revenues and recognize it as revenues um, when maybe they're weak at something else or some, some average price per car or something wasn't looking good. So it's certainly one to keep an eye on. That was the voice, by the way, of uh, Zach uh, Kickhorn, who, as I mentioned, is the chief financial officer for Tesla. Well, I I think this raises a really interesting point, and it's the beauty of this podcast, Corey, is that you do drill down. You don't you don't get a an earnings release, look at a headline, and and you know recite what's been put out by the company. You really do dig in and and see what's behind the numbers. So, well, I'm also not going to report that the company beat the number or missed the number. Because that's the stupidest thing I know of. It's like they beat the number. Wait, you mean the analysts got it wrong? Because the analysts are supposed to be telling you what the number is going to be. If you ask me to pick a number between one and ten, and or or you roll a die, and I pick a number between one and six, if it's not the number 
the dice didn't get the number wrong. I got the number wrong as the estimate. Right. So the beat the number thing is ridiculous. It doesn't tell you if a thing is up or down or better or worse. We sure do see a lot of it in traditional financial news, though. They can have it. All right, Corey, the last drill down you have for us today. Let's look at AutoNation. Beautiful. Well, AutoNation, it trades with the ticker AN. Shares were up 8%, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 81%. Wowza. What's happening with AutoNation? Well, um, the sales of car, increasing prices of cars has really, really helped this company. AutoNation is the largest automobile retailer in the country, and they reported third quarter numbers that were just fantastic. Same store revenues uh, of $6.4 billion was up 18% from a year ago, also up 18% from uh, from 2019, uh, third quarter. That also, um, profits up 29%. Now think about that. They've got fewer cars to sell, but profits up 29%, 45% mm. over 2019. So fantastic results and fantastic results for CEO Michael Jackson to uh, moonwalk out the door, Michael Jackson retiring <laughs> and announcing that. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's interesting about this business is most of the profits come from financing and insurance, mm. not from and car repairs, not from uh, selling cars. But in order to get the profits from car financing and car insurance and car repairs, you got to sell cars. In order to sell cars, you need cars to sell. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge shortage. And Michael Jackson thinks that's going to go on into 2022 and maybe into 2023. So look, I, I expect more demand than uh, supply uh, well into next year, and, and as you said, maybe into uh, 2023, but why talk about that today? Um, and we have a tremendous percentage of the income pipeline uh, pre-sold, and I expect uh, as uh, the production distortions and disruptions settle down, uh, they will come in and go out. They're not going to go to inventory. That so is, the cars will come in a lot, and the cars will go out more inventory, but a lot. I'm in your camp, John. Uh, so what? Uh, as long as they're coming in and going out. And our strategy of growing revenue by giving customers a choice with pre-owned has obviously been very successful, very compelling. So that's the last song from Michael Jackson as AutoNation CEO. Uh, what a way to go out on top. What a way to go. And, uh, you know, I have something uh, in common with Mr. Jackson and this company. Are the- you retiring? <laughs> I'm not. No. Oh, I, I'm good. <laughs> I will be back job. tomorrow, Corey. <laughs> um, um, no, but I, I uh, bought a, my own car, you know, September last year it was. Drove it off the lot. You know, we all expect a, a it was car new. to. It was brand new. We expect a car is going to decline. It was a great little commuter car, a little Honda Fit. I was living up in Northern California in Napa and needed to come back and forth between LA and uh, Napa, and it was the perfect commuter car. So I buy the car. I, you know, drive it for six months, sold it in June of this year when I no longer needed it. I got a check from CarMax for more than I bought the car for uh, eight months previous. Unbelievable. So you had the car for free. 
They paid you to have the car for eight months. Well, technically no, because uh, I financed it. So as as we heard in your drill down, they get a lot of the, their revenue from finance fees and I did finance it through Honda. Yeah. So so they, they did get some money out of me, but- um, What a deal though. Yeah, nice, right? Nice. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to see that again in my life. A very, I mean, I very sell- small upside of COVID. We've talked about selling our cars, but how do we get around? There's that little issue. Yeah. All right, well, coming up, we've got a really interesting, really, really interesting company. Adaptive, Adaptive Biotechnologies has an experimental blood test that may detect all kinds of abnormalities, not least of which cancer. And the company's founded by two brothers, CEO uh, Chad Robbins and his brother, a CSO Harlan Robbins. Join us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T dot com to learn more. And tweet at us at Drill Down Pod or tweet at me at Corey TV or Siobhan at Siobhan. How'd you get that? At Siobhan. I, unusual name. Unusual name. And thank you to my parents and their, uh, you know, unique spelling. Creative spelling of yeah. S-H-I-V-A-U-N-E. You know, uh, do you, you know how to traditionally, Siobhan. Corey, do you know how to, how uh, the traditional spelling of my name is? You're it's- the only Siobhan in my life. Is that right? It's quite a common name in Australia, I think, because a lot of Irish immigrants and probably on the East Coast, I would imagine, uh, of the US, more Boston area, there might be some Siobhan's. But the traditional spelling of Siobhan is S-I-O-B-H-A-N. That's B. B for boy. Yeah. Wow. Very Celtic. All right. Well, S-H-I-V-A-U-N-E on Twitter. I'm at C-O-R-Y TV on Twitter. And hit us up with some stories that you want to hear. And joining us right now are the founders of Adaptive Biotechnologies, um, Harlan and Chad Robbins. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we do appreciate your time. Um, uh, why don't I start with you, Harlan? Why don't you explain what is Adaptive Biotechnologies? What are you guys, what problems are you trying to solve? Uh, adaptive Biotechnologies is a, a, a immune medicine platform. And what we mean by that is... We let the adaptive immune system, your body's defense against um, foreign invaders, which is very good at recognizing uh, foreign pathogens, but also recognizing cancerous cells, et cetera. In fact, it responds to all diseases. We use that system to diagnose disease for us and then give us hints how to treat disease as well. So we have diagnostic products that, in this case, we have a COVID diagnostic, we have a diagnostic for for measuring um, disease, residual disease after getting treat, treatment with uh, blood cancers. Um, and then we have, we're developing a, a Lyme diagnostic, and then we have a, a whole set of autoimmune diagnostics and development. And then we're working on some cancer therapeutics as well. And is this, uh, uh, Chad, I'll switch to you, um, a, a, an approach because you're looking at T cells and T cells are kind of a common denominator when it comes to uh, uh, all of these kinds of diseases? Yeah, so what we're doing is we're actually using our immune, the DNA of our immune receptors, which are T cells and B cells, 
as our source code. And what we're able to do is use a technology called next generation sequencing to go down and look at the actual DNA of these immune receptors, and not only uh, our, as our defense mechanism for to scan the body and figure out what it is that they're seeing any foreign invader to the body, we're also able to link our bodies to the diseases that they bind to. Wait, link our bodies to the diseases? I don't understand that. What do you mean? Well, our body, through the lens of our adaptive immune system, both detects disease and it treats disease. And it sees disease earlier. So what we're learning how to do is read how our immune systems naturally detect disease. And what I mean by that is every single disease has different signals of disease that are specific for that disease. And they're called antigens. And our immune system or our T cell receptors, they scan the body looking for those antigens. And when they have a connection to those antigens, then your immune system that detects the disease. And so we have a, a series of diagnostics that learns how the immune system is seeing those disease through that linkage between our T cell receptors and our antigens. But then the second thing our bodies do is once, once your body kind of recognizes that disease, the, the T cells spring into action and become you know, killer T cells and go, and then their job is to fight the disease. And so adaptive is has a basically a, a, a suite of diagnostic products called T-Detect, where the job is to detect disease earlier. And that's our partnership with Microsoft. And we, we use our chemistry and bioinformatics. And on top of that, Microsoft applies their machine learning so that we can detect disease earlier. And if you think about it, I think we know that early intervention leads to better outcome. Like in the case of cancer, not all cancers, but many cases, if you catch the cancer earlier, there's something you can do about it. There's a, there's a there's an intervention you can do that, whether that's surgery or different therapies and you know drugs that you can give a patient that'll that'll improve the outcome if you catch it earlier. And that's true for for most diseases, autoimmune disorders, infectious diseases, where you, if you catch it earlier, there's there's some intervention, uh, and then. If, if I can continue on for a minute, um, at the same time, as I mentioned, your, your adaptive immune system also, after it finds the disease, goes and springs into action and goes and kills the disease. In this case, we've partnered at first in cancer uh, with, with our partners Genentech to develop an entirely new type of therapy uh, called T-cell therapy, where we're using these really specialized cells of the immune system, the T-cells, as targeting molecules to go and attack the cancer. Now, you guys have gotten some FDA approval. This isn't just uh, uh, pie-in-the-sky stuff. I mean, you've got FDA approval for certain tests for minimal re residual disease for um, lymphatic leukemia through testing of bone marrow. Is that right, Harlan? Bone marrow uh, as as well as blood. So we, we sequence, we're... we're we're able to. Uh, we're FDA approved in in some leukemias and and uh, uh, lymphomas for for um, monitoring disease, um, both both from the bone marrow and the blood. Reoccurrence, um, right? Yeah, reoccurrence of disease or or initial uh, discovery of disease. So in the, so these for these blood cancers, they're actually not that challenging for initial detection. So these for these blood cancers, it's it's monitoring recurrence of disease. We're finally at the point where a, a significant portion of the treatments are actually quite effective, which has been fantastic. Um, and that's really changed the last ten years. But but um, that that um, really required now 
um, much better tools um, for for assessing how well those drugs did in knocking down disease. And then over longer periods of time, being able to monitor and seeing whether the the disease is coming back. So so we um, that's a we have a lab in Seattle that runs a clinical test, and that lab itself is FDA approved for these for this test. And Harlan, why is this possible now? What is, what is different about our science that makes this possible? Made you want to kind of pursue these kinds of solutions? Um, so some of the basic uh, technologies that we need to extract large sets of data are exist now. So the the biggest one's been high throughput sequencing, where where you know I think everybody or most people probably heard that we sequenced the human genome in 2001, right? But it took another- You and your brother didn't, but we <laughs> generally as the human race, yes. We as the human race, it, it made a, had a lot of publicity that that we, the human race sequenced, was able to sequence the, the human genome in 2001, but it took another, you know, 10 years or so for, to really scale up that technology to be able to apply it um, across the board for, for a clinical use. And so it's been the last 10 years where, where there's been all sorts of advancements and in, in using uh, high throughput sequencing for, to change diagnostics to make it molecular so that we could, we could have very precise and, um, and deep diagnostics for assessing things like cancer, uh, both both in the case of um, uh, determining what what drugs uh, people should use by looking at the mutations that cancers have, to to um, I would say more advanced diagnostics, um, for example, like what we're doing where we're looking at the adaptive immune uh, system and we're we're using a specific part of the of the human genome to to monitor these blood cancers as well as diagnose disease. We're also FDA approved for assessing COVID in, um, uh, and we'll be uh, going through approval for a variety of other uh, diagnostics in the, in the future. And Chad, uh, you guys have been at this since inception in 2009. 2019 rolls around the very end of 2019 and we get this COVID-19. Um, uh, when did you figure out that there was a use of your technology, potential use with COVID-19? Um, well, actually Har Harlan and I were down in San Francisco with our partners at Genentech and the news kept rolling in about COVID and we were, you know, applying our T to tech franchise to Lyme disease and other autoimmune disorders like, uh, irritable bowel disease. And we recognize, you know, that we could potentially provide a solution to to map how our T cells uh, respond to specifically responded to the to to the different uh, parts of the virus. And we recognize that we may be able to provide, you know, the the world uh, with 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 you know a series of solutions that looked at, you know, the 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 adaptive immune response or the T cell response to the virus, because everybody else was looking at the antibody response. Um, so came, we, we flew back to Seattle. I called uh, my partner, Peter Lee at Microsoft and said, we have an obligation to get involved here. And, and he jumped on it right away and said, let's do it. And we started calling up our partners at Providence, and we called up Providence St. Joe. We called up Illumina. We called up LabCorp and said, we're going to do this. We're going to map the T cell response to the antigens of this virus. Uh, and then we're going to make that data available, you know, freely available to the world. Uh, you know, it was a project called TMAP. Um, we basically TMAP COVID. Uh, it was immune. the The actual um, the actual name uh, we 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 wound up kind of 
turning that into a diagnostic called T-Detect COVID, which is the first emergency use authorization uh, to look at the, the T-cell response to COVID. Uh, and then we also- and I, because I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't followed your response. First of all, that gets super interesting that you went after Illumina, right? The hardware maker that was going to need to get suddenly really get put through their paces here. And you went through, you know, LabCorp, which is going to have to deal with lots of samples and, and managing that. But what is the T cell response? Like, what did you find? And was is it what you expected with the COVID uh, infections? The the T cell response, um, fortunately. Um, is quite broad to the virus, but I think more interesting and less expected is that the T cell response to the various vaccines has also been quite broad and and sub, uh, substantial. And this has proved to be um, really important now because the these various vi uh, variants, like the Delta variant, it's not the same virus that we made all these vaccines to. So the vaccines are inducing an immune response to a virus that really doesn't exist anymore. It has some overlap with the, the Delta variant, but it's not a perfect overlap. And the antibodies that the vaccines were des designed to induce, um, don't most of the ones that are supposed to neutralize the virus don't do it anymore. Fortunately, there's another part of the immune response, the T cell response, um, which people were ignoring because they didn't, then they hadn't designed the vaccine to go after is probably doing a lot of the heavy lifting right now. And it actually is um, protecting us against Effective, the Delta right. variant. Right. Effective and so, against that. And, and who knows what's next? Yeah. That's right. And and we're, so the, it turns out the T cell response really hits parts of the virus that are, that are very well conserved. So they are the same between the Delta variant and the original strain that we designed the vaccines against. So we are highly um, protected um, even, even though the virus keeps varying and that's been super important and generated um, a lot of interest in, in our test and uh, the way we're able to assess the the T cell response, and the rest of the world is looking at other parts, other parts of the immune response. So, Chad, I, we, we I could go on for a long time, uh, but but I can't go on for a long time. Let me. What is the uh, what is the business then for you with your um, uh, COVID targeted testing? What does that look like, and what does the what does the approval process look like for your your Immunosec uh, TMAP COVID? Well, there, yeah, so there's two different parts of the business. One, right. as you mentioned, is called ImmunoCT map COVID. And that's where we're working with vaccine developers to understand the T cell response to the vaccine, um, which is really, really important. Matter of fact, you know, we, well, I, I'm going to put lucky in, in air quotes here, but in a sense, we got lucky with the Delta virus because the vaccines were actually de designed to, de to elicit a specific antibody response against the spike protein. It happens, though, that, that the vaccines actually elicit a broad and diverse T-cell response, which covers other parts of, of, of the virus as well, and which is which was which is really which was really you know fortunate in the, in in light of the Delta virus, uh, which was covered by a, a T cell response. So what we're doing now is helping the vaccine developers understand you know for both the first and second and their second generations of vaccines is what what type of t broad T cell response is covered um, you know by the vaccine. 
Uh, the second thing we've done, um, and this is in the, the EUA from the FDA uh, for our, our T-Detect COVID product is to understand, you know, for a patient, what we're ultimately trying to do is answer the question of uh, a correlate of protection or how long are our bodies protected uh, from uh, from COVID, how long how long do the vaccines work? So there's a whole, as you know, with a whole series of questions as to when when do you need a new booster shot? And that's ultimately what we're one of the big questions that we're trying to answer. Do you need one every year? Uh, in the meantime, there's a whole uh, set of patients who are immunocompromised, uh, especially if you have you know, a, a, a blood blood cancer where you have B, uh, or some therapy that, that, that your, your B cell depleted, you can't measure uh, the antibody response to the virus, but we can kind of measure the, the, the T cell response to the virus. So, um, you know, this is this is one segment of the population uh, that we're that we're targeting. Uh, the other is if you have long haul COVID uh, and you would never you don't know whether you've had the the virus in the past, um, you know, the 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 T detect COVID is a great way to determine um, whether you've had COVID in the past. So if you really want to know with a of a highly specific and sensitive test whether you had COVID in the past, you can use uh, T detect COVID. So those are those are the two questions we can answer now uh, with with the goal to be able to answer the question about you know uh, you know booster shots and, and and immunity. And Harlan, let me ask real quick: What's the business case here? And what like when might we, what kind of approvals do you have to get through and when might you get to get there? So for the, the first, uh, for the first product, we are um, FDA approved already. Right, so right. Um, there are uh, a, quite a number of individuals who are, who are using our test um, and, and doctors as well for, for um, assessing whether they have a, a T cell response to the vaccine and or whether they have had COVID in the past. And, and um, we are trying to bolster that uh, the, the claims with the FDA um, as, as well as expand our insurance coverage, et cetera. So that um, we, we, we believe this is going to be endemic, not, not, this isn't, you know, COVID is not going away. It's going to transform into an endemic virus as opposed to pandemic. Um, meaning we'll go back to living our normal lives, but the, especially the immune compromised subset that, that Chad was just discussing will have, have issues with COVID because they're the, they're not able to amount an effective vaccine response. So they're, they'll always be at significant risk to COVID. And so we're trying to help those patients get managed over time, uh, determining when they, when they are potentially covered and, and, and have an immune response and when it goes away and, and who really doesn't have any response at all, all of that's going to be vital for, for, um, you know, truly managing this, you know, there's 10, 10 plus million of these patients in the, in the U S alone, um, that, you know, basically every, uh, almost every cancer, uh, patient is, has some kind of immunosuppression and, and many people on different kinds of drugs, et cetera. Wow. Let me, let me ask you finally, you guys are brothers. I've never known of two brothers to found a biotech company. Uh, maybe I was schooled in these things. It seems unusual to me. How, how does this come to be, Chad? <laughs> well, don't you want to kill each other half the time? Because my brother and I would kill each other. <laughs> actually, uh, Harlan and I get along actually really, really, really well. Um, some of it is we stay, we, we, you know, he's a scientist and, you know, I'm, I'm the business guy. And, and so we've got really complementary skill sets. Um, 
But, you know, how it came about is, you know, he, he called up uh, with a, a very, very significant kind of world changing discovery in 2009 and asked me if I wanted to uh, start a business. He actually, he actually said I discovered how to sequence uh, the DNA of T cell receptors using uh, next generation sequencing at extremely high throughput, which was, which was, uh, and asked me if I wanted to start a business. I kind of jumped at the chance and then I realized that I, I had to do quite a bit of learning to, to understand, you know, what he was talking about. And, you know, when you're learning about the immune system, it's like drinking through a fire hose. It's not only very complex technology, yeah, um, agreed. but it's also the applications of the immune system to not only every disease, but also the fact that we're truly an immune medicine platform that spans across research applications, uh, diagnostics to, to diagnose disease earlier and now to discover new new drug targets um, that your, your immune system can play a role in. Uh, it's, it's been, you know, quite a journey, but it's been, uh, it's been really cool working with uh, Harlan throughout it all. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just, frankly, there's a, there's a long way to go to be able to use our technology to improve, improve patients' lives. And, and ultimately that's, that's, that's what the adaptive is all about. Mom's got to be proud. I love it. <laughs> she is indeed. She, Harlan she, and Chad Robbins, the founders of Adaptive Biotechnologies. Thank you, guys. We really do appreciate your time and Godspeed uh, with this uh, these uh, solutions to some big problems. Grateful to have you working on it. All right, well, coming up next on the drill down, we've got one number that tells us a whole lot about adaptive biotechnologies. We'll have that when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And ask your smart speaker to play the Drill Down to get each day's serving of business news and business stories behind stocks in a move by saying things like, hey Alexa, play the Drill Down podcast. That's how I listen to the Drill Down. Oh, I do. All right. Uh, let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we're back with the drill. I bite that one number that tells us a whole lot, Siobhan, that number um, relating to that really fant uh, fantastic conversation with the um, adaptive um, founders. The number is two. Two. They're two brothers. I think it's so awesome that there are two brothers running this company. When we were doing our sound checks, they were, one of them was giving the other one grief about not being able to log onto his computer correctly. Like oh, only brothers, brothers can. That's right. But what do you think, um, Corey? Could you work with, with your, with your siblings? Brother Bart? Yeah. Have you met my brother? I, I have, have. I have not heard much Stranger. about him. Yeah. Well, uh, no, we would kill each other. We practically would kill each other anyway. Yeah. But working together, what about you and your sister? No chance. Zero chance. <laughs> we we can't even agree on, you know, my parents' vaccination right now. So there's no oh, chance geez. we could work together. And I don't know if you know this, Corey, but I also have a brother. Um, he and I could probably work to work together. He's no nonsense. He's kind of a straight shooter. So so I think I think we could work together, but I think we know better than to ever do that. I, I'm more of a, you know But you're not gonna start a biotech, you're not gonna invent some new test to cancer test. Um, there aren't a lot of publicly traded brothers that I can think of. There's a company yeah. called Bentley Systems out of Massachusetts where there are two brothers there, but I can't think of many others. Listeners, if you have any, hit me up. I want to know about it. All right, well, you've been listening to the drill, and we do appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. 
Isaac Webster is our executive producer in absentia. Siobhan Field has been joining us as guest host. I'm so glad to have you. Ben Wilson, as always, our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.